Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 297 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I am your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about treating plantar fasciitis, and we're going to give you the secret sauce on what works best. Uh, we are going to be talking about some general stats about my patients with plantar fasciitis. We're going to talk about how I educate my patients about plantar fasciitis. We're going to discuss treatment regimes at different stages why I treat them the way I do, and what to do if they don't get better. But before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors. You've all seen the name Chattanooga in rehab clinics. Chattanooga has been a staple for all your traditional clinical equipment needs, and they are now carrying modalities including high-powered laser, focus shockwave, and radial pressure wave devices. These modalities have the ability to transform your practice from both a clinical and revenue standpoint. Trust me, I have patients traveling over an hour to come have radial pressure wave treatment in our clinic. Click the link in the show notes to request a quote, schedule an in-person demo, or get more information on their new modalities. You can also visit their website at www.lightforcemedical.com. Welcome back. Oh, for those of you who know me, this is my favorite diagnosis to talk about. If you haven't listened to my previous podcast about plantar fasciitis, please go to episode 29 where I dig deep and break down the plantar fascia, get into why people develop plantar fasciitis. But, you know, that was many, many episodes ago, a couple of years ago. And uh, so things have changed a little bit in regards to how we treat them. And uh, so what I want to do is bring that to you today. I know I have some treatment aspects in that episode, but I do want to kind of get into some more advanced stuff that we've been doing with really good success. So let's focus on treatment today. And I'll talk to you about why I do what I do when I treat plantar fasciitis or plantar fasciopathy, plantar heel pain, etc. Um, we just think of plantar fasciitis just like we do greater trochanteric bursitis. You hear of plantar foot pain or uh, pain at the bottom of the foot, and everybody thinks plantar fasciitis. And really, plantar fasciitis is more of that acute inflammatory you know, condition first, I don't know, three weeks to two months uh, where it's really inflamed, irritated. And uh, after that, uh, it usually becomes an opathy or uh, we describe it as plantar heel pain. So what do most of my patients present with when they come to see me? Okay, now there are many different types of people who have had plantar fasciitis. They all come in, come in different shapes and sizes and activity levels. But this is what I see most often. Number one, I see more people with pes planus than I do pes cavus. Now, statistically, we know that somebody with a pes cavus foot has an 80% higher risk of developing plantar fasciitis than somebody with a normal arch. And somebody with plantar uh, a pes planus foot has 20% higher risk of developing plantar fasciitis. So why do we see more people with pes planus? It's just that there are more people with it out there. Okay. So definitely see more people with flat feet than we do with uh, high arches. Number two, People who are overweight are at higher risk of developing plantar fasciitis. A recent study came out that showed a direct correlation between plantar fasciitis and waist size. And so uh, that is something to take into consideration now when you see your patient, evaluate them, and when you prescribe a treatment plan. Uh, tight calves 
If somebody has less than 10 degrees of dorsiflexion with the knee in full extension, um, I consider that tight, and uh, we definitely work on that. And that is a majority of the people who walk through uh, my door who want to be treated for plantar fasciitis or plantar foot pain. Uh, then I look at uh, the footwear, and a lot of folks are wearing just bad footwear, either shoes that are too tight or something that has a heel on it. Maybe it's a shoe that's unstable or uh, very uh, has a very poor sole to it. Uh, so we see that a lot, and uh, oftentimes it comes down to fashion. People want to look good uh, but uh, suffer with foot pain. So I really have that talk with them, and uh, we, we make recommendations for different types of footwear depending on their foot type. Uh, the next thing I see most commonly is that people come in after they've had plantar heel pain or plant, you know, plantar fasciopathy for six to 12 months. Okay. It's very rare that somebody comes in two weeks after developing plantar foot pain, um, you know, and say, Oh, my, my foot's hurting me. Uh, can I have therapy? They usually try to walk it off. They think it's going to get better. They get lots of uh, advice from Dr. Google and, you know, uh, and, and all these people out there on the Internet are saying we can cure plantar fasciitis with this one thing. You know, it's either massage of your arch or an ice bottle while you're rubbing your foot on top of that or hanging off of a step, which makes my hair stand up, by the way, for those of you who have listened to my podcast about the importance of dorsiflexion and how to get it. Um, so it's, it's, it's very frustrating to me when I see things like that uh, where people claim they can cure plantar fasciitis. I, I've treated, you know, uh, over 3,000 plantar fasciitis patients. That's a, a super conservative number. And uh, also that is patients, not, you know, people who have bilateral. So if you, you know, see people who have bilateral plantar fasciitis, um, you know, it could be 6,000 plus plantar fasciitis cases. Uh, so, you know, I, I try to, you know, get people to look at what plantar fasciitis is, and then I teach them why they need to do what they need to do to get it better. And it's never just one thing. The next thing I try to do is I try to rule out everything else before I start treating them. Um, everything else that looks like plantar fasciitis, like a radiculopathy or tarsal tunnel syndrome, maybe a stress fracture uh, in the heel. Uh, I always, uh, you know, check that out before I get started with them. So I get into some pretty, uh, some pretty straightforward treatment with plantar fasciitis. And uh, the first thing I do is start with expectations. You know, people do not get better overnight. Although I have had a couple cases, uh, unusual situations where, you know, I had a lady come in, said she had plantar fasciitis for 10 years. And uh, all I did was show her some calf stretching exercises. And she came back two days later and she was 100% better. Uh, that's not usually the case. Um, but you need to remember that you can't walk on your hands all day long. Okay. So it's going to take some time for this to get better. If you think about how much weight you put through your foot. Okay. If you're a 150 pound person and you take 6,000 steps a day on average, each foot hits the ground 3000 times. This is just on average, um, you know, at 150 pounds, that's 900,000 pounds of pressure that you put through your foot in the course of one day. And, you know, 450 tons, that is a lot. And so it's going to take some time to get that foot better. Uh, and so the idea is to, 
decrease the trauma to the foot by increasing flexibility, optimizing strength, maybe wearing orthotics. And I teach them this when we first get started so they know what the expectation is. Because if they come in and they're you know, significantly better after one visit, that would be very surprising. Okay, These don't get better overnight. So I talk to them about those expectations. And I think once they understand that, um, then, then they do better. Okay, They know that it's going to be a slow process and that they have to make some significant changes. Uh, I like to treat these folks three times a week for three weeks. That has been my standard for the last 31 years. And the way I look at this is if I can see some changes at three times a week for three weeks, then great. Okay, we're heading in the right direction. But if somebody's not changing at all, the foot continues to bother them with the activities that we're going to do, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. I have to be somewhat concerned that maybe there is something else going on that I can't manage conservatively. So I should see some improvement. And it's one of those diagnoses where we've done our own little internal study to find that, you know, 80 to 85% of the people will will get 80 to 85% better in about three to four weeks. And there are some lingerers and outliers that will take up to a year to get better. And uh, and we know that. And uh, But as long as they do the right things, they should continue to see improvement. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of what I like to do when I treat patients. And I know some of you out there who are not old school, old school like me, or, um, you know, some of you might have employers that say, well, we're not going to do anything that we can't bill. Um, and uh, that's just not our philosophy where I work. We do what we feel is right for patients, if it's billable or not. Um, and um, they may spend a little more time in the clinic as a result of that, but that's all right with us. And uh, we have great results. And so we stick with that. So first thing I like to do if uh, the patient is a candidate and they are having straight up plantar fasciopathy, uh, I like to start with some bipolar stimulation and some moist heat, not only to the plantar fascia, but also to the gastroxoleus complex because in my opinion, tight calves are the number one reason why people develop plantar fasciitis. So I want to heat that up. I also want to um, make sure we can optimize that mobility. Why do I do the pre-mod? I I like to decrease pain. If we decrease pain, we decrease spasm in the area. The patient, um, you know, if they get heat and stimulation, they jump on a slant board after that. They usually feel like the foot that we did that on is already uh, moving better and not feeling as tight. So if we can just decrease that neuromuscular activation of that calf and all of those intrinsic muscles that are in spasm and tight, um, that is helpful. Okay, it gets them oriented and settled into the clinic. Um, And then I follow that up with a thermal ultrasound to the plantar fascia. And when I do this, for most people, if they can tolerate this, I dorsiflex them manually, okay? And I stretch that plantar fascia, and I might even stretch that great toe into extension while I'm doing the ultrasound. Now, remember, when you do a thermal ultrasound, you can increase the temperature of the tissue about 4 degrees Celsius up to 4 centimeters deep if you're doing one megahertz continuous and you're and you're really cranking the intensity so you can increase that temperature of that tissue and it can make a difference when you increase the mobility of that plantar fascia and while you're doing this you're also increasing the mobility of the gastroxoleus complex but also remember this once you stop your ultrasound um, you have about a three minute window before the temperature of the tissue decreases back to normal. So that's why I like to stretch them and ultrasound them at the same time. Now, if physically you can't 
do that, um, you might have the patient grab a hold of uh, a belt or a like a gate belt or maybe a sheet or towel, and they'll dorsiflex the foot. They'll put that around the ball of the foot. While you do that ultrasound, you might get some stretch that way. We use a device called the Maxim Dorsiflex Assist which is a device you put around their back and it comes around and attaches to the uh, ball of the foot and basically stretches them into dorsiflexion while we do the ultrasound. Then right from there, we jump onto a slant board. I'm huge on slant board stretches. I also uh, teach them how to use a sheet to stretch the gastroxoleus in the morning. Now, if people do really well with that, but they just don't have time to do it, or maybe uh, it just, uh, you know, they have to get up and go to the bathroom and they don't have time to stretch in the morning, I might place them into a night splint at night. The research shows that there is good success with using a night splint. It's pretty benign. We, you know, it's, it's, uh, they're sleeping with it. As long as they wake up with the night splint, then they will see some benefit, you know, when they first get up in the morning and first put their feet on the floor. Now, after I've done all of that stuff, I I will also take a look at their shoes. I'll take a look at their orthotics if they have them. Most people come in with orthotics they've taken off the shelf and they, you know, they claim that they don't do any good. And well, it's usually because they'll get a cheap orthotic that's maybe accommodative and not corrective. And so I will take a look at that. Uh, and uh, I'll take a look at them, you know, walking barefooted and see what their foot structure looks like. So that's something I do during my evaluation. Also, uh, one of the, the treatment things that I do also is have the talk about weight loss. Uh, most of the folks who come in with plantar fasciitis are overweight. And uh, so we have this frank conversation with them. They all say, well, I can't walk and I can't you know, lose weight. Well, there are other ways to get in your cardio. Like stationary cycling is a great way to do it. And I might even incorporate that in the clinic when I treat patients. And swimming, uh, even even something like rowing is not that bad on the plantar fascia. You're just not getting that windlass effect when you're uh, getting from the mid to terminal stance phase of gait. So those are all things you can do to start to work on conditioning and weight loss and, and talk about diet and encourage them uh, to lose weight. And you can even tell them the stats. I use that stat about the 150-pound person taking 6,000 steps a day. You know, it's it's impressive when you tell them, that they put 450 tons of pressure through one foot in the course of a day. It just really kind of resonates with them. And so I might utilize that with some people just to encourage them to start to get healthier. Um, And then, you know, from there, uh, I always, uh, you know, tell them that it's not just going to be a passive modality program, that there is going to be some intensity to this plantar fasciitis treatment program and that they're going to have to put some work into it. And I think once they have those expectations and we start that treatment, they seem to show uh, some improvement. Next, I'm going to start jumping into some intrinsic strengthening. So toe curls and some posterior tibial tendon strengthening. Uh, Anything you can do as an accessory to support the arch, okay? So remember, your anterior tib, your posterior tib, both help to support the arch dynamically, so engage those, okay? There's nothing wrong with getting those turned on. Um, your your plantar flexors, there are seven different plantar flexors. Uh, engage all of those. They help to hold that foot up. Um, you want to get your hip abductors engaged. If you watch somebody, I oftentimes with my plantar fasciitis patients, I'll ask them to do a functional squat for me. And if they do that squat and their knees are collapsing inward, the, the feet are pronating really
really badly. Um, I'll get them into some hip abduction strengthening exercises just to start to develop some better knee posturing and, and foot and ankle posturing as they develop better gastroxoleus mobility and foot strength. Um, then one of the big changes that I have started this year, or not this year, but in the last couple of years, would be some isometric plantar flexion loading, okay? So we do a little program here where we get people into plantar flexion at about 40 to 45 degrees of plantar flexion, and we have them hold that position with some load, okay? So load over time or tension over time. Uh, if people can't start with your body weight or maybe even some sort of a leg press machine, I might just start them with TheraBand where they take a gold piece of TheraBand and they hold the plantar flexed position for about 45 seconds uh, with a 45 second rest and we do that times five then we increase that intensity we might get into uh, using the shuttle cardiomuscular trainer where we can adjust it with the bands and they lay on their back they plant our flex uh, they're on a timer for 45 seconds and we do that times five maybe we alternate side to side 45 seconds on one side 45 seconds on the other and then we slowly increase that while they're doing it single-legged on the shuttle then ultimately we get them up in standing and we do it double-legged to start with and then progress to single leg and then from there our ultimate goal is to be able to have them do a standing single-legged heel raise for 45 seconds times five while holding extra weight, usually 15 to 20 pounds extra above their body weight. Um, if you want a, a copy of a PDF of, of this actual handout that I give to patients and that I utilize in the clinic, just go over to orthoevalpal.com forward slash downloads. And I'll put a link into the show notes and you can just click on that. You can get that for free. Go ahead and use it. Uh, and it's something that I do on a regular basis for my plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendinopathy patients. And so go ahead and uh, take a look at that implement that in your program and I think you're going to see some results and and when people start with the isometrics it's it's easy to gauge how they do okay remember you you want them to have up to a two to a four on a pain scale while they're doing that that's okay if their calf cramps up a little bit that's all right also okay it's about loading the plantar fascia and uh, so uh, go ahead and try that see how you do I think you'll like that the next thing I do is I always look at a, an orthotic option Okay, either semi-custom or custom orthotics. It really depends on how much deformity the patient has in regards to, you know, are they severely uh, pes planist or are they uh, in severe pes cavus? Maybe they have an extra wide foot or they have some foot deformity where I need to do a custom orthotic and maybe do some dropouts where some bony prominences are. Uh, but I, I always take a look at the orthotic option because there is, in my opinion, uh, a, a great need for that, especially with people who have plantar fasciitis. We want to prevent that fascia from excessively stretching all the time. And uh, we would just want to redistribute pressure a little bit better. And... So that is kind of my treatment go-to right there. We start with some modalities. We get into flexibility, ga gastroxoli stretching for sure. Um, we take a look at the shoes, orthotics, and um, we start the seismetric uh, loading program and ultimately get into if they are an athlete or uh, they uh, are uh, you know, really busy on their feet. Then what we'll do is we will uh, get them into some eccentrics and then uh, get in some higher level gastroxoleus and plantar fascia strengthening. Um, now, if patients don't get better, and, and I've had 
like I said, you know, I've treated over 3,000 patients with plantar fascia issues, and uh, some of them just don't get better, and they're just recalcitrant. They're very hard to treat. I will then uh, perform some radial pressure wave therapy to that proximal plantar fascia or, or wherever they're most tender in the fascia area. We've had some excellent results with that. And uh, we are now starting to use it more and more as a kind of a mainstay to our treatment with people with recalcitrant plantar fasciitis. Now, if they go through a course of that, which would be five to six treatments over the course of a couple of weeks, then we might uh, consider sending them over to the podiatrist or uh, an orthopedic specialist where they would look into you know, other sources of uh, continued pain. Maybe they are just so tight in the gastroxoleus complex and don't show improvement that they need a release or they need a, uh, you know, a plantar fascia release also. Some people will receive injections which, uh, ha- you know, give significant improvement or relief right off. Although if you're not treating the cause of the problem, it usually comes back. So um, at that point, you know, you're, you're treating this more on a surgical level and uh, with injections. And so... Hope that was helpful regarding the treatment of plantar fasciitis, folks. Uh, Let me know if there's a process that works really well for you when treating chronic plantar fascia dysfunction. I would love to hear it. Um, Always open to hearing other people's treatment techniques and uh, and their successes with them. So hope you have a great day. Be kind to each other and take care. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.